0: ball through Toronto FC's
1: big acquisitions combined to tie the game, Josie Altador. The Two Solitude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins.
2: And welcome to the Two Salt Toots Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins. On September 14th, a very special date in Canadian soccer history, we'll get to why in a minute, but if you don't know, you probably do know. But if you don't know, just wait. We'll tell you why in a minute. But September 14th is a very special day in Canadian soccer history and we are going to talk about that after our very special guest, which is Rudy Schuler. Rudy Schuler joined us from goal to talk mostly TFC. One question about Canada at the end. Uh, we talked about Josie Altidore. We talked about Proquise, We talked about Findlay. Uh, all kinds of sort of checking in on TFC from, from a perspective other than mine today. Rudy came on, had a great conversation. But before we
1: do any of that Kevin how are you I am doing great Uh, a little bit uh, not under the weather but I woke up this morning and realized that damn fall has arrived and I forgot to close my window so uh, that's the type of morning I'm having today but outside of that 0-0 for Montreal against Galaxy the first game at home for the Galaxy where they did not score in the last three months you the, the the last five games, Dwayne, will just quickly, they scored four goals, five goals, three goals, four goals, and five goals. And against Montreal, nothing. And that's without Sima. So uh, we're feeling pretty good in Montreal this Monday morning.
2: Fair enough. And uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps fans obviously are too because they are top of the league. Uh, TFC, maybe not as much, but we'll get into that into, in the Canadian Review and also the NASL stuff as well. Kevin, let's bring Rudy on now, come back, and then we'll tell you what's all about September 14th.
1: 3-1 is how it finishes, five wins in a row. The Revolution, a rising force in the East at just the right time again. Toronto left with plenty of questions once more after another puzzling home defeat for them.
2: And welcome back to the Two Salt Toots Podcast. Dwayne Rollins here with Kevin Laramay, Rudy Schuler, our special guest from Goal. He joins us as he always does on late notice and we thank Rudy for <laughs> that. Uh, how you doing, Rudy?
0: I'm not too bad. Maybe you guys can give me more than uh, you know a half hour notice next time, though. Yeah, but we <laughs> yeah, everyone needs
2: their, their super sub, right? And and that's what Rudy kind of is. But no, we appreciate his candor. I just know that Rudy will come on when I ask him. So therefore, anyhow, sure. uh, Rudy, let's start with. I guess Greg Vandy's postgame comments from yesterday in which he said that he thought TFC played well. Michael Bradley then agreed with that in a postgame scrum, although we were talking off air. There wasn't much choice that he had there. It was like, do you want to piss your coach off or piss the fans off? What do you want to do? Uh, first off, do you agree with what Greg Vandy said? And is it possible to play well and lose? I guess
0: in context, I do agree with what he said, uh, because I do think that TFC played well enough, uh, that they probably should have gotten a little bit more out of that game. Um, but, you know, the flip side of that is they also had two fatal errors and the third goal that was a well-placed shot by Diego Fogundes, but it was also on a couple of smaller errors in the, in the defensive scheme. So, um, I mean, overall, you can't say that they deserved anything more than they got because the errors are also part of the game. And especially when you make an error like uh, Michael Bradley, as we mentioned, as it, it make, a, make an error like he did um, right in front of the net where you basically just give the ball away and Callan rolls the slots at home. Um, and then, of course, Damian Perkis puts it in his own net. Uh, if you're going to make those kind of errors, then it doesn't really matter what you do the rest of the game because especially with a Perquise goal, which was four, four minutes in, you're already putting your team on the back foot and you're allowing the visiting team to kind of sit back and absorb pressure, which I don't think New England would have been able to do if they were up, if they weren't up, one nothing so early in the game. So, um, I do think Vanny was trying to be a little bit pragmatic and and, and not throw his team under the bus. Uh, I do think that some of the fans would have preferred that he did that, but I don't see that as a realistic option. I do think that he needs to focus on the positives publicly, and maybe uh, hash out the negatives uh, in private with with his with his players inside the room. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I see it. I, I, I kind of see both sides of it, but I do think that overall, I mean, overall, the result is re- what it is, and that's what you're going for. Uh, and the cliche, of course, is that it is a results-based business, and they are looking uh, to, to try to, uh, to leap up the, the standings to secure that home field advantage. And uh, that was an opportunity lost. So uh, overall, they played well, but they also played poorly enough to lose, and that's what happened. True enough. I,
2: Rudy and I are going to have a conversation about uh, Altidore in a minute, but I wanted to go with one other player first before I let Kevin jump in, and that is Damien Perkis. He was subbed off to to sort of make the team a little more offensively shaped near the end when they were chasing the game. I think they were down two when they got they got the one back, and then uh, Bradley gave it away. A lot of people calling for Perkis's head. He was, of course, coming off the injury. The own goal there doesn't help. Uh, you know, alleviate that perception. Just what are your thoughts on Damian Perkis's future with this club?
0: Uh, it's tough to say because I think uh, Damian Perkis has a lot of uh, a lot of factors going for him when he's with, when he has the ball at his feet. And I'm not talking about running in his own net. I mean, when he has the time to to have the ball at his feet, he's actually the best uh, the best central defender they have at, at that at that uh, kind of game. You know, he he can play the ball out of the back. Uh, he can hit the long passes. He can even make a run or two if he if he uh, sees fit. But uh, defensively, he's been found wanting a number of times. Now, I mean, that could be a number of things as well because the team shape isn't, hasn't always been there to protect the back line. Uh, he's had a number of different uh, central central defensive partners. Um, and all that inc- inconsistency has shown up in his own game. So, uh, you know, it's hard to, to put all the blame on the player, but he is uh, the guy who's supposed to be anchoring that back line. And I don't think he's been doing it to, up, up to what uh, TFC needs. Now... Um, We've seen uh, Ahmed Kantari come in and look a little bit, uh, a little bit better, but also a little bit inconsistent. But I'm going to let him slide a little bit more because he, he's he's a newer guy coming in in mid-season, which is much tougher. Uh, but we haven't seen the two of them together for a long stretch, and I do think that Greg Vanny sees uh, Kantari and Perkis as his starting duo at the back. Um, I do think that there's uh, obviously there's a lot of games coming up, a lot of home games, and maybe some easier games. Uh, I don't like to say they're easy games, but easier games against easier opponents that maybe they they can settle into a groove and 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 maybe uh look a little bit better and i think i i do think that perkis deserves two or three games alongside kantari uh to to kind of get his groove back because um it, it was i mean it was tough i i, I kind of ripped him on twitter too because i do when that goal happened i do think that he could have easily cleared it out to the side or not you know <laughs> not put it directly into his own net i understand it was a bang bang play and it was a well placed pass and and New England is very, very frantic uh, in the final third. It's hard to defend them. But um, I do think that uh, at, at this level, he should have been able to put that over the bar or off to the side or something like that, or maybe even turned with it and, 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 and try to fire it out through traffic or anything, anything other than a one-touch, one-goal kind of thing. Um, so I, I do think that he does deserve maybe another chance to get out of it because I do think that was a little bit of rust. Um, but I do think that his leash is uh, growing shorter by the day because the games are just going to get harder. And now there there are a lot of uh, central defensive options. Uh, guys like Zafaleta, Josh Williams can play there. Uh, Nick Hagelin, who has barely seen a game this year. Uh, these are all guys that can step in and do a job. Maybe they can't do the job that TFC needs, but they can do a job better than Perkis has been doing uh, on his worst day. So I do think that uh, his... Sh- his lease is shortening, but I, I do think that he deserves a one, a, another one or two games alongside Kentari to see what they can do, do chemistry-wise.
1: One thing that really has the supporters of Toronto worry in the last couple of weeks is the lack of result recently. And in the history of the club, uh, you always worry when results will come and it's getting close to the end of the season and they're close to that red line playoff. They're still five points ahead of Montreal and yeah. a lot of points and games ahead in front of the four teams and below that red line. Rudy, mm-hmm. is there any chance that Toronto missed the playoffs, or is that skill that they're having right now maybe in the best time of the season because the East is so weak and they might just eke it in the playoff in fifth position no matter what?
0: Yeah. Uh I think that's how it is. I mean, obviously mathematically there's still a chance. That's why they're not they haven't clinched, right? So Yeah. I mean, in, in the in the in the immortal words of, of Jim Carrey, there's always a chance, or you're telling me there's a chance. You're saying but, uh, there's a chance? Exactly. So but I do think it's, it's, it's extremely remote because, uh, as you noted, the the bottom part of the, the Eastern Conference is just completely trashed this year. Um, they haven't looked good at all. And, and those teams are going to be dropping points more and more uh, as, the, as the games get more important because the teams they're playing against are, are desperate for positioning. And those teams, I, I think uh, the Orlandos, the New York City FCs, the Chicagos, the Philadelphias, uh, they already know they're out of it. So they might nick a, a, a game here or two, but they're going to just continue at the same pace that they are, which has not been good enough. Uh, and they have all played a lot more games than TFC has, um, and they have a harder schedule than TFC has. The TFC has a number of games at home. I think it's five of the last seven, or something like that, are at home. So, um, I it would take an absolute catastrophe for a TFC not to make the playoffs this year, and I just don't see it happening because uh, I think the numbers just just don't just don't add up. I, I think uh, obviously you don't want to rest on your laurels and say, okay, well, as a TFC fan, say, okay, we're in the playoffs, but um, I think everybody knows that's, ar- that's already happened. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, unless they go on some kind of Aaron vinter nine-game losing streak or whatever, I, it, they, they can already book their playoff spot, but they still need to play for a better playoff positioning. Since the beginning
1: of the season, Rudy, uh, Jovinko has been touted as the MVP of this league, still playing great on the field in the last couple of games. Uh, do you think there's a Jovinko effect, but negative one with Toronto, as the players maybe are waiting for Jovinko to
0: to do everything, uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't really see that so much, though, because I do think that he actually lifts the rest of the team up. I mean, you see it. I mean, he's got 17 goals, but he's also got 13 assists. So he's also bringing everyone else into the play. Um, you know, we saw that ridiculous move he made, he made last night where he nutmegged the guy after doing a 360 pirouette and then nutmegged another guy on the same play. Uh, immediately what he, did, he tried to do is he tried to cross the ball. And the cross was a little tough. I think it was either Marky Delgado or Jonathan Osorio who's crossing to. It was a little bit over the head, but if that hits, I mean, that's just goal of the year. Uh, and that and that and the actual goal would have just been a simple tap-in header kind of thing. Uh, but that's just kind of the player that Jovinko is. I do think that. Uh, I think the other team kind of gets stunned into to you know in action a little bit. I we saw New England just kind of almost like. Uh, take a gasp when that happened and they all kind of fell back a little bit and, and it did open a little bit of space for those guys to run to the back post. It's just unfortunate that Jovinko's uh, cross was uh, not as good as the, the the plays leading up to that. Um, I do think there is a slight element of that when they get into the final third. It's like, oh, give the ball to Jovinko, he'll probably put it in the net. Uh, but I do think that has dissipated uh, as, as time has gone on because they know that you know if he has, if he sees his teammates in a better position than he is, he's going to pass it off. You know, Marky Delgado has three or four goals this year. I think two of them are are just from running to the the, the back post and waiting for Jovinko to put it across for a tap in. So I do think that uh, as they've gotten used to his uh, his increasing moments of brilliance, and I mean he has like three or four of those a game, uh, they've taken it upon themselves to, to to keep running and keep keep putting themselves into open positions because they know that if if he does something, then it it might benefit them as well uh, on on, a, on an individual level. So I don't think there's too much of a danger of that. I actually think it's, uh, it's uh, more dangerous to the other team because they, they, they tend to uh, you know kind of lose their heads a little bit when Jovinko makes them look like <laughs> complete amateurs. So um, I don't think that's too much of a concern for TFC. Um, as I said, I, I think it was much more in the beginning of the season than it is now.
2: I'd rather have that problem than than not, if exactly. you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about Josie Altador, which uh, Rudy and I on, briefly on Twitter this morning had a bit of a conversation about that. And I thought it was interesting enough to to sort of frame a bit of a conversation on here. Uh, what are your thoughts on Josie Altador's season? I think that he needs to be a little more dangerous in open play to open up that secondary scoring. And if he can do that, if he can find that danger, then that makes TFC a really dangerous team moving forward if they can get that second option um what are your thoughts rudy
0: well I, I can see what you're saying and i do agree to it uh, to an extent but i mean the guy has 10 goals and when when's the last time or the first time you could ever say that tfc's secondary scorer is in the double digits <laughs> i mean i can't even think of a, i can't even think of an example off the top of my head right now um i do think that he needs to uh, get himself involved a little bit more in the play because i think i don't think he has a single assist uh, to go with his 10 goals but uh, you know his main job is to score goals and he's scoring them at an okay clip it's not dp level uh you know the the money he's getting but I, I don't i don't like to look at the the money so much as 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 the impact on the field and i do think he is having having an effect on the field when he's out there um he's had a tough season this year because of uh you know the injury in the mid season uh then he went to the gold cup and was sent away uh, for not being fit or whatever it was that Clinsman I don't know well Clinsman can have me ranting for another uh whatever and uh, another topic, but uh he sent him away for not being fit. And I think that kinda of messed with uh with Altidore's head a little bit because, you know, he's the guy, he's been uh, the the guy for the USA um for so long. Uh form be damned, you know what I mean? Even when he was had dips in form, his coach stuck by him. Uh but somehow, you know, he had Two or three bad games in the Gold Cup, and that was it for him. Even though the U.S. went pretty far in that tournament, uh, he left to halfway through it, and I think that did have a little bit of effect on his, his head. But you know what? He came out. He he got benched. Excuse me. He got benched by Greg Manny because of the the, the dip in form. And when he went out there, he was effective. You know, he scored two goals, uh, three goals in in two games, and a total of a, what was it was. I think it was like a half hour of play. Um, so I think he has been showing it in, in fits and spurts. But I think uh, the issue that that you're talking about is a little bit more consistency. I just don't think that Josie Altador has ever been that consistent type of player. I think he, he, he's a guy who, uh, who thrives on confidence. And when he, when he's a confident player, he's, you know, he's the guy that TFC paid the big bucks for. When he's not, then he, he looks average or even worse than average. Uh, and, you know, maybe he needs to have, have a message sent to him every, every few games. I do think that he's a, uh, he's looked better over the last few games. I, at last night's game, I think he, he probably should have had a little bit more effect uh, in front of goal, but I do think that he was linking up well with his teammates. He was uh, occupying the defense the way he should be. You know, he was keeping them uh, occupied. He was making nifty little passes to Bradley and, and to Osorio to get the, the attack started, but uh, he wasn't doing what his main job was, and that was putting pressure on the goalkeeper and, and, and getting shots off. So uh, I think that I, I agree with you that he needs to get a little bit more of that, but I, I don't think he was ever going to be that prolific scorer in, in that he's going to be... A guy that gets gives you twenty goals a, a season you know i, I think he is a, a very streaky guy but uh the the key to the key to tFC success is to make sure that the streak happens now now can they do that i don 't know, but uh, I do think that the the schedule that's ahead of them and uh, the way is playing, I think that might help because he'll open up some options and the with the schedule being what it is a lot of home heavy games a lot of uh, a lot of games against uh, opponents that give up a lot of goals. I do think that this is the time that they could probably get his confidence up uh ahead of a, a possible playoff
1: run. One question that I always ask myself about Altidore Rudy is mm. when you look at him over the years, that was with Sunderland, with uh, with AZ, he was a little bit better. But his dedication, uh, it's one question, it's a cliche question, I know, but it's one question that when every fan, every supporter looks at him, are wondering it. He's a really dedicated to not just TFC's cause, but to any soccer team cause when he's there. It just seemed to me maybe it's just a, a, an observation from the outside but it seems like he's never
0: fully committed i think that's just his his style i uh, uh, honestly uh he grew up dominating at the front end so uh, his his coaches kind of said you can do whatever you want as long as you keep scoring goals and that and that kind of that kind of permeated through to his pro career you know he he he's still a physically dominant like just his stature and 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 you know, the way he he throws his body around he's still physically dominant um so he he does that when the ball is near him but when the ball's not near him he 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 kind of gives up every now and then, uh, and I know that probably drives his coaches crazy. They're not gonna, they're not gonna call him out on it publicly, uh, at least not uh, on this side of the pond. But um, yeah, I, I think that's just kind of his. I think again, it's a, a kind of an extension of of uh, of what I was talking about just a minute ago, of where like, he's almost a streaky player in in, in his in his per- personality as well too. Like he he uh, he'll only defend or or or, or kind of. Look like he's giving a hundred percent when it will serve him directly. You know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. So um, yes, yeah, it, it, it's kind of hard because I think Jovinko is kind of the same way. Although Jovinko kind of gets more of a pass for it because you know he, he's such a magician with the ball at his feet. But uh, it's tough for for uh, for Greg Vanny because uh, neither of those guys defend very well. So when the ball's not near them. They're not really. They're just kind of walking back uh, at their own pace, rather than, than 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 really showing. You know, like the Michael Bradley, where he's just running 90 minutes nonstop. Um, you know, it's such a contrast to see the those types of players on the same on the same field at the same time. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I can see where you're coming from on that because it does look he, he does look like at times that he's he's not really 100 percent into the game. There's, I mean, I think it was the the, the Diego Fagundes goal where I think Altidore could have put a little bit of pressure on someone. I can't remember who it was, but he kind of switched off and that allowed, uh, I think I think it was Lee Wynn, actually. It allowed him to make the pass that led to the final pass that led to Vergundes just slamming it home. Uh, if you, you, you kind of think, well, if Altidore had just made an extra step or you know lifted his foot up a little bit more, he probably would have changed the, the course of that, that passing sequence. Um, it's, it's definitely frustrating to watch, uh, but, and, 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 but it, it, I think it shows up a lot more when he's not scoring goals and doing things that he's paid to do uh, because everybody starts looking at other things, uh, you know. If he scores a hat trick, nobody cares how much he's defending, right? So uh, yeah, uh, I don't think just having talked to him uh, over the year um, and and seeing how he is interacts with his teammates in the locker room and 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 seeing all that stuff, I don't think he's not committed to the cause. I think that's just his style, and it it, it kind of shows up when he's not hitting his uh, his projected numbers that he should be hitting. Having watched,
2: uh, yes, I was briefly at the Man City friendly earlier this year. Having watched that, and uh, I watched Sergio Aguero a lot during that, and watching how smart he ran off of the ball. And I think with offensive players, you sometimes have to remember that conserving energy might be as important as just running ever all over the place. You mentioned Michael Bradley there. Maybe he runs over the pla- all over the place a little too much, you know. But anyway, um, I want to ask one more TFC question, Rudy Robbie. Friendly, Finley, why is he starting?
0: Why is he starting? Uh, well, we saw yesterday why he was starting. Uh, he almost scored two goals within the first two minutes. Uh, he hit the crossbar. He had one that was just wide. Um, and then he scored, you know, the, the, the goal that should have started the comeback. Um, I realize he, he's, we're talking about inconsistency. I mean, this is a guy who's wildly inconsistent. There, there's been uh, spots of brilliance from him. And then, you know, kind of surrounded by a lot of nothing. Uh, I I don't know if he's I, – I, I'm not convinced he's a, a wide player or a wide midfielder, I should say. He might be better as a wide forward. But I, I'm not convinced he's a wide midfielder, uh, naturally. I do think that Greg Vanny sees a, whatever he sees in him, enough enough in him to to, to put him in that role. Um, I don't see uh, – I just don't see enough from him to be played in that position. But I, I think that uh, Vanny thinks that he's one of his top 11 and he wants to put him out there on the field – Regardless of where he is, and he, maybe he gets enough out of him out there. Maybe that I don't know. I just don't agree with that. Um, but I do think as the season has gone on, he's looked better. Uh, I think the first half season, I, w- I would have been uh, right there and saying like, I don't, I don't see, even see why this guy even sees a minute of action rather than uh, rather than the ninety minutes he's been getting lately. But uh, I do think that he's kind of become the the new whipping boy for TFC fans that always seem to need a whipping boy. You know, Jeremy Hall's gone and, and a bunch of other guys are gone. So, hey, we need, to, we need to kind of look for someone else. And I think that he's been identified as, as, I don't know, fairly or unfairly, whether you want to go one way or the other. He's been identified as the guy who needs to be uh, overly scrutinized. And I, I don't know if that's I, – I don't know if I agree with that. I do think that he could do more for his salary and for, for what he's uh, kind of, you know, expected to do. But this is a guy who's won at MLS level. And uh, to, to kind of roundabout answer your question, only him and Hercules Gomez know what it's like to win, you know, in MLS from that roster. You can't even say that about, you know, the big three. You can't say that about a bunch of other guys. So maybe Justin Morrow as well because he won the Supporters' Shield mm-hmm. with uh, San Jose a few years back. But uh, I think that's what Vanny's going for. He needs he needs those guys that know what it takes uh, in MLS to, to, to kind of gut things out, uh, especially because Robbie Finley was on that, that team, uh, that Rail Salt Lake team that, you know, Shouldn't even have made the playoffs, if not for TFC's capitulating back in 2009. And they went and won the entire thing. Uh, I do think as the games are getting tighter, he's actually shown a little bit more, to me anyway. that That's just my opinion. He's shown a little bit more uh, as the games have gotten, you know, the, the the weather has kind of cooled down and the games have become more intense and, and me- more meaningful. He's actually shown more. So maybe he's a guy that needs a little bit more pressure on him to perform. Because, you know, we we all know that the, the MLS regular season, most of it is kind of meaningless. But uh, when you get into September and October, that's when the games are, are you know, they, they, the points are, are worth more, even though they're really not, but they feel like they're worth more. The games are bigger and they're more intense and the, both teams are playing a little bit tighter. Uh, he's actually played well for me over the past few games when, the, when, when the, the, the intensity is ramped up. You know, he was the guy who was all over the field last night. So um, I think that's why he's on the field. Uh, I, I don't know if, if I was Greg Vanney, if I put him on the field as much or in that position, but I do think there's a role for him to play. You seem to recall a former Whoopi boy Jeremy,
2: Jeremy Hall having a solid game yesterday too. Yeah, anyway.
0: exactly. And jawing with Michael Bradley uh, a little bit there in the first half as well.
2: Exactly. All right. One quick question on Canada, then we'll let you get back to your day. Uh, the Canadian national team, a lot of sort of gashing of teeth after the after the 1-1 down in Belize. Um, and I was guilty of it as anyone. I think I'm a little more critical on the Canadian national team than, than I am on TFC for sure. But uh, well, is there any hope there for the next round, Rudy?
0: Of course there is. Of course there is. Hey, you know what? Uh, the same round four years ago, uh, TFC drew Puerto Rico at home. No, Nil-nil. No, there was no score. And then they went and pounded them in 3-0 away. I mean, you know, uh, soccer is not is not a video game. Something's, sometimes just, games just go the way they go because uh, one team is highly motivated to look good in front of their crowd and the other team knows that they just need to do the, a certain amount to get through. And Canada already knew that they were through. Like, You know, there was no way Belize was going to actually threaten that. I mean, it, it looked like it for a little while, but... Um,
1: like, with the commentary, with the commentary was so biased by Madbull and Maestro well, yeah, that, yeah. that the game felt more on Belize's side than it actually was.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, they were talking about, oh, that was, that was beautiful. Uh, I, I joked about it on Twitter, like, uh, you know, a, a shot 15 yards away from the goal. Like, it didn't threaten, um, didn't threaten Milan Borian at all. Or, sorry, Virgin, as they called it. <laughs> didn't threaten him at all you know almost went out for a throw in oh that was a beautiful pass. Like, come on that was not a beautiful shot like I get that you guys are enthusiastic I love it I love the way they, I love their style but a lot of it was I mean it was over the top for a reason because they they weren't that good so uh, I, I do think that Canada had already kind of mentally note, noted that they were go through they just need they knew exactly what they needed to do they did it um, and now it's you know the slate is clean. it's the old, the old cliche you just uh, you know you you wipe the slate clean you, you and, and you just focus on what's ahead of you. So um, there's absolutely, there's absolutely hope for the next round. Uh, I don't think this team is as talented or as, or at least as battle hardened as, as, as four years ago, but we saw how that happened. Maybe, maybe they needed a, a fresh perspective, some younger guys who, who don't know or care about the history of, of, you know, losing in Honduras or, or, or being frightened to play against Mexico or those kind of things. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, as long as uh, as long as Canada keeps uh, keeps their home record the way they are, they you know they've never lost. I know they're not playing at BMO, but uh, they played almost all they played all their their competitive games at BMO over the past few years, and they haven't lost a single one of those. So as long as they can keep holding down the fort at home and maybe try to nick a an away point here or there, uh, then there's absolutely hope. Uh, I have some concerns about the way they're lining up and and, and some of the player choices, but. Uh, you know, name me a name me a team where there aren't some baffling, baffling player choices and some uh, you know some questions of of what the coach is thinking. So, um, yeah, uh, it's a clean slate. I, I hate to go to that cliche, but it, I mean it really is the truth in this one. It's a clean slate. Honduras and El Salvador haven't looked like world be- world beaters over the past uh, year or so. You know, they're they're both kind of in disarray. I know El Salvador had a decent run in the in the, in the Gold Cup, but you know this is a different game. This is a different. Uh, a whole different tournament, and uh, I think the teams will be playing a little bit differently, so... And and, and Honduras has not has definitely not looked like the Honduras that, that pasted Canada 8-1. Um, so, yeah, it, it's tough to say, because I always keep a guarded, uh, guarded caution when it comes mm. to Canada, because I don't think that they're... Uh, I don't think that they're quite at the talent level yet to compete with these teams on a consistent basis, but this is a very short, short uh, format, and anything can happen, so... Yeah, they're definitely hoping uh, for for the Canadians uh, going through this round. Hopefully, Benito Floro was
2: watching Jonathan Osorio's game yesterday because yes, I thought he, had, he was,
0: passing, by the way. Yeah,
2: he had an incredible <laughs> game and yeah. seemed to have a level of creativity and confidence that I hadn't seen in a while too.
0: Yeah, He's, I, I I hate to make comparisons to world greats, but he I I think he has the opportunity to be Canada's version of Xavi. Like I it, it I don't know why. I'd, uh, Benito Flora doesn't see that or he doesn't value that or whatever the case may be. Maybe he felt disrespected by the way uh Oso came out uh, that that game where he was pulled out early. But um he's a guy uh, I know again, obviously Xavi's at a much level different level. But if you have to make a comparison to a world player, I think that's the kind of player that Osorio can be for Canada. His his passing his ability to keep the ball in tight spaces and uh split defenses open in the final third is, is unparalleled within the Canadian pool. And I think there's a place for him in the starting eleven. Context is everything. Rudy Schuler from Gaul. Thanks again, Rudy. Thanks for having me. Sweeney and uh, Bruce Wilson on the ball. Bruce Wilson the captain. And Sweeney takes it and bridges forward. Well oh, that will cheer them up a bit. Lift the spirits of tension.
2: Two forward. And Rabrige
0: running
2: onto the end of it. They were all standing
0: watching in the French. And
1: Bats out of his goal. on the line. Still Valentine. they over the place, the French.
2: And Bats finally wins it. And it was thirty years ago today that Canada taught the world to play or sort of, anyway, they taught the Hondurans how to play in St. John's, Newfoundland. Yes, folks, it is the 30th anniversary of Canada qualifying for its one and only World Cup, the 1986 World Cup in Mexico City, with a 2-1 win over Honduras. It was the first Canadian national team game I ever saw. I started from the
1: top, Kevin, and now I'm here. So it's always been downhill from there for you as a Canadian national team supporter. And yeah it's well like i said i I
2: couldn't have started much higher than Canada's greatest ever day um look it, it was at the time and through the eighties and into the early nineties Canada was for those that are too young to remember was not the laughing stock it is today. it was not the you know the punching bag it was actually a team that competed and came very close to qualifying for world cups throughout that time, despite the fact there was only twenty four teams in the draw nineteen eighty six rolled around uh the World Cup at the last minute was given to Mexico, which sort of take took their position off and allowed Canada to qualify by virtue of being the best in the rest of CONCACAF. So put that in perspective for those that want to say, oh, it's only because Mexico was hosting and stuff like that. No, Canterfish second, basically. Well, they won. They were the CONCACAF champions uh, that year. So it's one of their two times that they won CONCACAF, 1985. Uh, this is pre-Gold Cup time. So look, they they qualified on their own, their own accord uh, – it was a scrappy team, a team made up of a lot of guys that uh, had played in the NASL, that played indoor soccer. Uh, we talked a lot about this when we did the special anniversary show for the last game of the NASL and how important that league was to Canada's '86 team. Um, of course, the Canadian Soccer League started out of that, and it was the basis of the team that became very, very close in 1994 uh, to also repeating that that feat, uh, based on the backs of the you know the CSL uh, players. Kevin, you're too
1: young to remember it. but um. <laughs> Yes, I was saying uh, Fair Duane. I feel like the guy who missed the party. I feel like the guy who, came, who joined the gang a little too late and missed the whole fun in the heyday. I, I missed the golden age of Canadian soccer. And now we might be in the, the silver age coming up. Maybe. Who knows? But I missed the golden age.
2: Yeah. Look. It was a different era in international soccer as well. Uh, I think that one of the biggest factors in Canada's struggles of late is the improvement in the rest of the region, not so much about their downfall, though there's a bit of both, I think, at play. Back then, really, when they went in to play these teams, they were the favorite often and and certainly throughout this qualifying campaign, although it was no walk in the park, they did – uh, get the job done uh, fairly effectively. Let's quickly go through how they got there. The way um, it's a much smaller qualification at the time, basically, there was uh, three rounds, or there were two rounds basically to get there. So, you uh, Canada started, they were in group two of the first round with Guatemala and Haiti. They played uh, four games in that home and away. Uh, they were three wins, one draw, no losses in that. With seven goals for two against, uh, Canada beat Haiti two nil. Uh, that was in Victoria. Uh, they then beat Guatemala in Victoria as well, two one. I don't actually remember the field in Victoria. The, my early memories of Canada is playing in Vancouver there, but at any rate, there was a one one draw down in Guatemala. Canada wrapped that round up with a two 0 win in uh, Port-au-Prince in Haiti to uh, to run out that that uh, group. <laughs> They then advanced to the final round, where they played Honduras and Costa Rica, which were the winners of the other two first round groups. So you're only talking nine teams in qualifying back then, so a little different, eh? Yeah,
1: very however, much different.
2: However, uh, so then Canada in that round they went two wins, two draws, and no losses. So they went through it perfectly. Only four goals scored. That's kind of something that we're used to now, eh? One-one <laughs> uh, draw with. Costa. Kirst- I'll
1: take four goal scores anytime.
2: <laughs> exactly. That's where we are. draw with Costa Rica. That was on the 17th of August, 1985. So it was a very quick and condensed qualifying campaign. That was at Varsity Stadium. Attendance of 13,500 were there. So uh, we're doing a little better on that front now. Um, If
1: we remember, if we can throw the people back to our NASL special that we did last year, when it was the 30 years anniversary then of the NASL Soccer Bowl in 1984 in uh, Toronto in Varsity Stadium, there was a big crowd too. So the culture was bigger than we remember.
2: This is the game I think that uh, a lot of people would probably fall on the floor if I told them about now, especially if they came to the game a little bit later. I think Daniel Squisato would have like a three-day bender if he uh, could go back in time and watch this game. Uh, George Paco scored a goal in the 58th minute in Honduras for Canada's 1-0 win over the Hondurans in Honduras. I think that that, as we well know, has been a little bit more precarious now a day. Uh, they qualifying went down to Costa Rica after that. Canada grinded at a nil-nil there before... For the game that was 30 years ago today, a 2-1-win over the Hondurans again. So and Paco scored again. He was the the hero of their of their qualifying campaign. And with uh, with quite a few key goals in that run. Um, look, will it ever happen again? God, like maybe not. And that's sad, but it's the reality of the modern game, right?
1: I don't know if it'll ever happen again. I always joke like Canada will never make it back to the World Cup ever again. And obviously, I think it's gonna take maybe the next time we'll get there. It's because Canada's gonna host it, so maybe it's gonna take the the fact that Canada needs to host it to go back. But uh, maybe not. Hopefully not. Hopefully 2018 or maybe 2022. But right now, I can't really answer that question if it's ever gonna happen again because I don't see it for now
2: yeah the only thing I'll say to that, and I understand people's pessimism because it's been a long time and it seems to be going backwards. Although when you're close to it, you can see positives, and we like to stress those here. like I talked I talked about them in the last show, but how there are good things happening in pockets around the country, and as long as you can capitalize them on them, you can make changes. There needs to be some more national uniform, you know changes, I think, uniform changes across the board. and but you know I do see some hope. And you know, let's look back to Iceland again ten years ago. When they were playing Canada in those friendlies in Iceland 10 years ago, they were ranked in the hundreds. They moved 100 places in the FIFA ranking and qualified for a major championship with a population of 310,000 in a decade. Things can change. Let's not be completely pessimistic. However, we do need to sort of have that will to change and the question always lies that you know is there going to be people that resist it in pockets and that's the problem in this country it's so big and so vast that it would almost be better if it only was one region trying to qualify because then you wouldn't have this kind of miscommunication across the board which prevents the growth and prevents the progressive changes that need to happen right
1: yeah one question i always wanted to ask you Dwayne, about iceland what did they do so special to climb the rankings to the extent that they did, to achieve what they did on the football world, what did they do so special? Because you, they cannot say objectively that their talent pool is better than anybody else. It's the same as everybody else in the world. It's a, a, a nation that was not known for being a footballistic, crazy uh, population that eventually became one. So uh, how can you explain their success and what should Canada do to uh, emulate
2: it? I mean, short there's a short answer, a one-word answer, and it's coaching. They invested heavily in making sure that their coaches were overqualified basically for what they were doing so that at all levels of the youth pyramid up – obviously, there's more that went into it than this, but this is the basic answer. We're being coached by guys that had UEFA licenses that were highly qualified to be coaches, not these parent-volunteer situations. They also invested heavily in infrastructure of uh, their – It's all indoor stuff, a lot of turf fields. I mean, prior to a decade or so ago, they were playing on basically like um – Rocks like some of their fields weren't playable for half the year because of their climate. So they they had to go a lot of turf and indoor facilities, full size indoor facilities. They just they they prioritized that. But that's your your your, and you know and they took a long term player development uh, process as well, rather than uh, the hyper plan thing. They also um you know they have a league there. Uh, They always did, but they sort of uh, invested in the idea that these league teams would would focus on developing players that they would then sell on, so that that was their profit margin, and they didn't you know. Try to keep these players behind and keep them back in Iceland. They don't prioritize their their team's winning in Europe. Their club teams. They prioritize getting their players to highest level possible so that they can develop further. So it's a lot of stuff. And look, it's a European country, so some of these ideas are a little more ingrained and a little more accepted than they might be here, where we live in that North American kind of philosophy where we got to keep players and we got to be best in our own community. Like it's that's our culture here, right? Like we. We value stuff like high school sports and college sports and things like that, which are really small in the grand scheme of things. But because that's how we've grown up and, and we want to look at the world, we want our local community to be the best. We don't want to give our best up to someone else. We don't want to send our best athletes from their, their local teams to larger regional teams. We resist that in this country. We have for a lot of years and even at hockey we do. But hockey works because there's so many kids that play and our infrastructure is like so much better than the rest of the world. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's uh, like we're saying. Even if the pyramid is not that um, connected in hockey, the base is so big that some players will make its way to the top no matter what.
2: Yeah, and and the top end of the hockey pyramid is well established and effective. Right, like their their ability to identify. The, the best elite, of yeah. yeah the elite of the mess that's below the top of the pyramid is is there because of the scouting systems within the CHL how did we get into a hockey conversation but that's that's the difference you have to emulate something like that but really that's there is a comparison there that you have to emulate within soccer you need to have the most elite of your club systems moving up that pyramid to get to elite development programs. In this particular case, it would be the academies at the professional teams. You need to have the local clubs either try to operate as a professional academy and have something attached to it where they're playing maybe in a Canadian league or in League One Ontario. That would be fine. Or you have to accept as a local club that these players need to go up and play for the TFC Academy, for the Impact Academy, for the Whitecaps Academy, for Ottawa, for Edmonton. I've listed all five, so no one can accuse me as bias, right? That's that's what we need to see happen. And there's your answer. You know, can it ever happen again? Of course it can. But we, we're we going to need to change how we do things. I think we are in some cases. We need to do more, though.
1: One quick question, Dwayne. And that's a, a new reality that's setting in in Canada for the last couple of years, I want to talk about not necessarily private academies, not like the Sigmas of this world, but more of the PSG academy that's setting up shop in the region of Montreal recently and other situations like the Wolves one in the GTA. There's a Barcelona one as well. Uh, what do you make of this thing? Is And it, is it part of the solution or is it part of the problem?
2: I used to live next door to the uh, Sporting Portugal or this morning Lisbon, yeah, Lisbon um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Academy down in the West End of Toronto. Uh, I never saw any kids playing on the pitch the entire time I lived beside it. There was a nice, beautiful sign there that had the sporting, uh, you know, logo on it and stuff. But at any rate, I. I don't think they're particularly anything more than money grabs. Usually, those uh, foreign academies that set up shop here—they're they're used to expand their brand, uh, to try and create more fans more than find more players. Obviously, if they find a player, they're going to continue. And go, okay, well, let's work with this. But they're they're not going to go out of their way or put any significant effort into developing players here. They're just going to see if they can find a diamond in the rough, and if not, they'll sell a few strips. That's kind of what how I view those programs. I don't have a problem with them. For per se, as long as the rest of the infrastructure exists around it to allow true development to happen. And I think the problem comes into the perceptions that, that exist within many of the public, the general public, people that don't listen to the show, that think that obviously a Barcelona quote-unquote academy in Toronto is going to be better choice for them to send their kid to Sigma, which it's not, because they just don't trust the Canadian system because they're not educated enough on what the best parts of the Canadian system are doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. No, um, it, it does answer my question because uh, there's a, a small percentage of the population right now in the soccer world that believe that those type of academies are going to revolutionize when I do agree with you that sometimes it's just they get more fans of this big club outside of their own market and make money in the same time. So that's how I see the ones here. And it was established because they knew that PSG was going to come uh, train a couple of days here ahead of the international champions cup this summer and that was the idea behind it because you could make one day of training with Latan and get money off of it so I have a feeling that people need to focus and trying to get their kids to like you said either the five pro Canadian club academies that we have in the country or the Sigmas the ACP and those type of at least standard based academies
2: yeah like I said, the entire time I lived close to the, to the Sporting Lisbon, quote unquote, Academy field, I never saw a single player training on it. So that tells me there wasn't a consistent effort to do anything there other than to hold camps probably in the summer, which take advantage of, of their parents love up that team, right? Absolutely. Okay, let's take a break. Come back, have a Canadian review.
1: that We are playing a fully professional team and most of our players, I think we have four professional players, all the rest have to go to work like I do, like you do, Madbull, and everybody in the whole world want to tip their hats off to the Jaguars for a wonderful, great, great job, a sacrifice, Madbull. Yes, back inside the game, it's partially broken up there, picked up there, on channel 5, Madbull, all those live streaming aliens out there. Man, you're getting it live from Channel 5, you can't complain. Back inside the game. And ladies and gentlemen, here comes Nakajima. Faran. Come play that ball, yeah. In honor of Mad Bull and Maestro, get your Team Benny's T-shirt, the number one store. Canadian Soccer News for all the details. Or maybe you're more a Phillips Bakery type of guy. Well... Canadian Soccer News for all the detail or Teespring.com. We know who Magul is. Magdo is a shooter. Magdo, you would have shot that ball even if you were way deep in the deep ocean. Yes, back inside the game. It was not. The jewel saved once again. By the grace of the Almighty God. One to nothing, please. The Canadian Review on the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast.
2: and welcome back to the canadian view that's stark political kevin Uh, controversy of swirling here in Toronto over a refugees welcome banner, which was uh, displayed in section 111 at BMO field on the weekend. The national post reports today that security there forced these fans to take down the refugees welcome banner, which of course has become something that has been common across football stadiums around the world has actually been displayed at BMO field as well earlier in the year uh, down in section uh, 114 at the front of there. They had it up uh, the game before that. Uh, I saw this banner at halftime. I didn't notice it being taken down. I didn't see any kind of controversy around at the time. So the fans obviously just, uh, you know, did what the security asked them to do. There wasn't anyone removed or anything like that. Um, Look, the the BMO field initially, supposedly, according to the National Post report, told these fans that they couldn't have the banner because they, quote, unquote, weren't in a supporter section, which is blatantly untrue. Uh, Section 111 is actually designated as a supporter section. And I, again, having seen where they were, I do know it to be a fact was in the supporter section. Now, it's a bit complicated for those. I don't want to get too much into, like, the geography of the south end of BMO. But uh, 111 is actually – Uh, in the the east stand uh, rather than the south stand, and it was only – it's been a supporter section for six years, so it shouldn't be confusing to the security, but it's not part of the general block that is generally perceived to be the supporter section. It is a little bit separate from that. However, regardless of that – MLSC Today changed their tune. They said that the um, the issue was that the MLS had a – and they used MLS rather than TFC or MLSE, had a policy strictly prohibiting any banners that had a political message on them. Now, Kevin, I don't know what's political about uh, wanting to support the idea of humanity I guess, but – I guess it's a left-right issue. I don't want to get into that. My politics are to the left. I don't hide that on Twitter and things like that. So to me, it's just absurd that anyone would have an issue with this. But regardless, that's I, I what guess happens. it's
1: a case where they're weighing the situation. If they let anything – I don't mean this and any disregard to the actual banner. But if they let any banner that's not really sports-related into it, then it's opening Pandora's box and you can uh, have to always uh, – be careful about what banner shows up after it. There there's some banners that have been taken down over the last couple of years in Montreal as well, and some of the time it was because it was a very political message that was uh, sometimes even offensive to a certain part of the population. So when it's for those reasons, I agree. Uh, Do I think the Refugee's Welcome is a message that offends anyone? No, it doesn't. Is it really a political message? No, not really. It's not a political stand. But in a way, to play devil's advocate, I can understand where they're not drawing a line, but where they're being careful when it's not sports-related.
2: Yeah, I I suppose, you know, this gets complicated because it's a message that has sort of been associated with... Um, I hate using the term ultras, but the ultras sort of culture around the world where you're you're seeing this pop up. Um, I don't know if these fellas that put these banner up would consider themselves that, but they certainly do consider themselves to be football slash soccer supporters, right? So it's part of that culture there. I do see where you're coming from when it comes to like if so. It's a federal election here in Canada right now. Exactly. If, if
1: so would we allow, example, a get Stephen Harper out of office instance? Probably not. So and is it offensive? No, it's not. But it's it, that line is very fine.
2: Yeah, and, and look, I hate to open this Pandora's box on a show called Two Solitudes, but if, if <laughs> yeah. someone in, if someone in Montreal were to put a pro sovereignty banner up in, uh, which so- has been seen
1: before, by the way.
2: Yeah, I don't think there would be a lot of people in that are federalists that wouldn't want to see that banner there and they would think that it's not the place for it. So it does get a little, little suspicious there. But I think that what might probably happen with this – and we're not going to belabor this anymore. I did want to point it out because a lot of people are talking about it today – is that I suspect – that very quietly now that this is getting National Post attention and a lot of people are criticizing MLSE for this. There's really not a lot of people supporting MLSC's position on this if you go to social media, which in fairness is generally a more left-wing kind of space, um, which in this is something that, that would be more of a left issue, right? Yeah, a
1: um, left-ish at least.
2: yeah look, I think probably what's going to happen is very quietly, MLSE is going to allow those kind of banners to be shown uh, in future games without making a statement ever to to say that they were wrong or that the, this was a decision that wasn't happening. There being, I think Kevin, that there's, this is, I compared it to you off camera. There, there a while ago and we don't, haven't heard about this lately, but there used to be this uh, sort of phenomena within education where they had no touch policies to try and avoid bullying and things like that. And it gets, would go so extreme that like a kindergarten kid would give another little kid a hug and they'd get suspended. And that's like this sort of pedantic, uh, you know, must follow the rules to the T kind of thinking that sometimes I think is problematic. And that kind of, I think is what, how this was handled. No one was offended by it and it wasn't, it is a political message, but it's more of a personal message in that particular case. And it probably would have just been better for BMO if they had any concern about this, no one would have been talking about this had they not taken the thing down, right?
1: No, exactly. That's and that's one thing we said to each other off air is like, when you don't bring attention to a banner that's shown, you don't necessarily gather enough attention for people to remember and make a big deal out of it. So, if it wasn't for the security asking them to take it down, like you say, it would not have made a national post. Nobody would have called the national post saying, "Hey, they don't want us to have the refugees welcome banner." It's a story. Print it. No. It would have been just forgotten about, and it would have just breezed on. The banner would have been shown, and would have just everybody would have moved on. That's that's one of the things in society. Everybody wants to be against everything, but when you're against something and talk about it, it does bring attention to the actual uh, thing you didn't like to begin with.
2: Yeah. The last thought on this, I, I, you would have think that BMO Security would have learned the lesson because earlier this year they removed <laughs> the, no Argo, the No Argos at BMO banner, and that of course is what drew all the attention to the No. Argos I was there. At BMO.
1: I was there that day.
2: So, and then the next game, what they did there is, again, the No Argos to, at BMO banner was allowed to be displayed at the next game. That one was a little less because there's nothing political about that. That is purely about the sport in that particular case. I guess municipal political. I was say, but
1: maybe T.O. hashtag T.O. Polly.
2: But, yeah, no, that's that was TFC fans saying they didn't want another sport in their stadium. That was sport-related. But regardless. All right. We brought that subject up. You know, I – Again, I, I suppose there are some people that do favor more restrictive immigration policies that might be offended by it. But I view refugees welcome being held up as you know more of a personal statement than it is like I am in support of more refugees type thing, right? Anyway, moving on. Scores. Uh, Soccer. Yeah. NASL. Let me get my notes back here. NASL, perfect weekend, Ottawa, nil-nil. They seem to be struggling to score a little bit recently, Kevin, and that's got to be concerning them a little bit after the great start to the season. However, they still are in first place in the fall season, three points up on Minnesota. If they win the fall season, they're in the postseason regardless as one of the top seeds. If they fail to, they would uh, be battling to get the third or fourth seed uh, based on uh, the overall standings. They're currently third in the overall Uh, Tied with Minnesota there. So Ottawa continues to look pretty solid to get a postseason berth. Edmonton, they're not falling completely off the map, and they did get a 1 0 win this week over Tampa Bay. That puts them just two points out of the overall combined standings for that fourth playoff spot. Uh, It looks like when you look at this that the Cosmos well end up with the top seed, Uh, although, you know, Ottawa still has a chance to do that. So unfortunately, the chance of a Canadian um, playoff postseason, pardon me, game. do should, should receive be our, that email again. Yeah, that should be our next T-shirt. It's it's postseason, not playoffs <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah, we'll sell uh, a
1: big uh, two T-shirts again.
2: Yeah. Anyway, uh, they it's uh, T-shirt.
1: There's always two T-shirts on sale right now. You get the Phillips Bakery or Team Benny's. Your choice. Yeah, they're
2: che- it's it's, <laughs> it's cheap. You okay over there, Kevin? Yeah. It's it's cheaper in the United States. It's only seventeen ninety nine in U.S. dollars if you want. Uh, yeah, that's
1: twenty three bucks, twenty three seventy nine. It's the cheapest I could make it. I swear. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and part of that is the exchange rate. I noticed it on it. Actually, came up with a banner. I was browsing. I was like, "What the hell? That's our T-shirt." Anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's called cookies doing.
2: Yes, I know. But <laughs> it's, it's like I get a lot of a lot of Zipcar ads on my computer, and someone in this house works for Zipcar. So I go. always
1: feel important when I see those T-shirt ads pop up on my computer. I'm like, "Wow, they're showing!" Oh, wait. Okay, I get it.
2: It's like when people tweet out that the such and such is trending, and they don't realize that they have the their phone set up to only read the trend from their feed. Yes. <laughs> So, no, it's
1: not trending. You just have weird taste.
2: <laughs> yeah. then you're right. We're away. back to the review. The NESL postseason. Look, I, I maintain and, and we will do a special show. I will go to Ottawa if they're hosting a playoff game, postseason game. I'm just going to call it the playoffs. If they're hosting a playoff game, we will go there and we'll do a show. And uh, hopefully, uh, I hope to see a championship game played in Canada and Canadian soil for the first time since 1984. Uh, other than the All-Canadian League, obviously. Uh, hopefully that happens this year and there is a chance cuz the Fury continue to be
1: a great story. Um There's a chance in the MLS too, Dwayne, who knows.
2: Yeah, I suppose the Whitecaps are are right uh, now scheduled to host the, <laughs> the 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 MLS Cup
1: final if they uh, According to my EA Sports FIFA 15 simulation last night Oh uh, yeah! Canadian fans will be surprised too. I included every relatable data that we have right now, so it was the exact standing as it stands from last night, with the same amount of points. Simulation was based on that. Montreal, Vancouver is in the final. Take it out of it, what you want, and that doesn't mean anything. But uh, hope for Montreal and Vancouver. Who knows? You might face each other in the playoffs. Sorry, Toronto.
2: And the impact one, I believe. Now you weren't playing. Were you? No, were you it was playing? just
1: simulation.
2: You should let me play the simulate with TFC because you saw me play when I was there for the CCL final, and you'll know that the TFC would not do very well if I were <laughs> controlling the play I, Absolutely. I, was, I think I was playing TFC like with Manchester City against TFC and I couldn't score with Manchester City against TFC so there you go I'm not not a big FIFA guy um well I like the game I just can't play it. <laughs> Cause I'm not 12.
1: You're more a FIFA manager. Type, type
2: yeah, type. yeah. I like, I like the football manager. Not that I'm that great with it either, but anyway, um, this is not our video game review. So we'll move on. Uh The white caps, the game was midweek. So it's, it's hard to even remember it now, but a two nil win, then just put them up at the top of the league. Uh, we talked a lot about Whitecaps a couple weeks ago so we'll just leave it at the score for now but certainly they continue to roll on. Uh Carl Robinson coach of the year. I w- I want to talk a bit about that, I guess. That can be our Whitecaps caps conversation. You and I both seem to think that that's an obvious pick, but when I put that out on Twitter, the Whitecaps fans are like, "No, it'll never happen. They no one will vote for this. We're on the wrong con- in the wrong country Here's on the wrong we-
1: coast." Here's a tweet we received. Wrong country, wrong coast. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I think that
2: that might be a – you might want to refit your, your T-shirt to fit the chip on over on the shoulder there. That might be a bit there. I think, well, Robinson deserves to win the Coach of the Year and probably, well, no offense. With the He's going to be
1: nominated, sh- that's for sure. He cannot not be nominate, nominated with the season Vancouver is having after the season they had last year.
2: Yeah, the way that they've the way Coach of the Year is always voted on. There's a formula for it in any sport. It's it's not necessarily the best coach. It is the coach that has improved the much, has done the most unexpected thing from an improvement standpoint. And if they win the Supporters Shield, there's no doubt that he's winning. And who cares if they wins Coach of the Year? If you win the Supporters Shield, you won the damn Supporters Shield. But. <laughs> Regardless, if he does even get close to that and they already are close to it, then I don't think there's a doubt. Like it's, it's absolutely checks all the boxes of how they vote for it. The only other option might be – I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I mean Bruce Arena is always a good choice. I, I'll let you in on a little secret. I always vote for Bruce Arena as coach of the year, but I would, I would vote for Carl Robinson this year uh, based uh, I on I would
1: say maybe Ben Olsen in D.C., but uh, that's about it.
2: Yeah, but they're falling off a cliff right now.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, uh, which was expected. It never happened all season. We were waiting for it. And yeah, but uh, Robo, for me, is the candidate. And if he needs a chance, if he has a chance to win, he needs the supporters of Vancouver to get behind the cause and start tweeting and talking about hashtag RoboCoach of the Year or just RoboCoach. What would be the hashtag?
2: RoboCoach. I like RoboCoach. RoboCoach. Yeah,
1: there
2: you go. Uh, the impact nil
1: nil with uh, with the Galaxy. Nice what un... a performance, Dwayne! I have to say neil nil against maybe the best team in the last decade in MLS. neil <laughs> nil against Dos Santos, against Keane, against well, Gerard. But it was just great to see Montreal. Go close to scoring on the road, Drogba dominating again, playing the same type of game he played before, but it wasn't Chicago's defense, it was L.A., so, nil-nil. But uh, it was just a great performance by Montreal, even though Simon was not there, still suspended. The backline held this time, and against L.A., it was very impressive.
2: Yeah, the only concern I would have, basically, on Drogba would be the, the long-term fitness, whether he can continue to play at a high level with as many minutes as
1: he has, because he hasn't played a lot of minutes in the last couple of years. He's not that playing would- Wednesday against San Jose. I can put money on it if I was a, a bet a, a betting man. He's not going to play on Wednesday. I don't expect Piatti to play on Wednesday. And I don't even expect Donadello to play on Wednesday. San Jose is in trouble in the West. It's... An out-of-conference game. There's no repercussion on the standings if we lose that game. What I mean is there's no direct opponents that will gather points from a Montreal loss. So it's a game that's expandable. So I would rest all the Montreal key players for Wednesday.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that. They're they're going to start managing their season. Montreal is a team that that is at peace with the fact that it's probably going to have to play a road uh, play-in game. Maybe in the outside of a chance they might be able to drag up and get the home play-in game, but they'll definitely be in a play-in game, right? It could be so,
1: fifth at the best case scenario and sixth if the scenario stays the same.
2: Yeah, and so if that's the case and you understand your math, then you might as well just start preparing for that and make sure that you are – you know, it's like, it's like in Major League Baseball. They're, your teams that know that they're going to be in that wild card start to set things up so that they have the best pitching matchup on the day. So, like, I mean, it's a bit of a weird analogy, but I, I think it's what it is. They're, Montreal is going to have to set it up. If they, in fact, are going to have to go and get a road win in a play-in game in a, in a must-win situation, they're going to need to make sure that their players are absolutely the rest of it. That's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm undecided on whether I'm coming down to that last game of the season, Montreal versus Toronto, because – I don't think the game's going to mean anything, and I think their teams are going to be playing a little bit of possum that day anyway. Because right? they
1: might play each other the next week, but for all the marbles, well, yeah. not all the marbles, but at least for some marbles.
2: Yeah, we might be watching FC Montreal play TFC 2 Essentially, be, you know what I mean? Like it, it could be a lot of lot of guys that don't get a lot of time might be, you know, Jay Chapman starting type thing. Um, <laughs> Kyle Becker
1: might make his debut for Montreal Impact.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it. I don't think it's going to have matter for one of those teams making it because I, as we've said many times on this, I think that the bottom four are going to be well eliminated by them. But uh, interesting times. Um. Okay, we'll talk about the Toronto game. It was a 3-1 loss. Obviously, we know that. We talked a lot about it for Rudy. My take on it is this. I believe that New England, who is coming on pretty well right now, won that game more than Toronto lost. And I know a lot of people don't agree with that assessment. They think that Toronto had
1: a lot of mistakes in the game and blah, blah, blah. I think it's a TFC supporter's instinct, Wayne, that you just always seem to blame TFC when you're in doubt. Yeah. To my perspective, the own
2: goal for Perkis. Look, I saw it from section 115 as I was walking in because I have to enter from a different exit. So it always takes me a couple minutes to get to there. And I was literally at the top of the stairs. So I didn't see it great. But my take on it, for what it's worth, was that it was a great ball in that put Perkis in a situation where he was trying to clear it. And if, if he didn't try to clear it and just let it go through, it was going in the net anyway. Could he have cleared it? Better, obviously. He put it in his own net.
1: <laughs> yeah, he could have, but he didn't.
2: So so um, but that case. The the Bradley giveaway was was the worst play I've ever seen Michael Bradley make. Uh, and it was really unfortunate because I think that had Bradley not I actually turned to the person beside me in the in the stands about five minutes before that and said this game's either ending in three-one or two two, uh, because there was clearly a goal in it. Because Toronto did look good going forward. They had a lot of chances. They there was just like a lot of luck in the terms of like the ball bouncing at the wrong time or hitting the post or being cleared off the line. New England cleared it off the line twice. But you know, when you live by the sword, you die by the sword, so to speak, to use the old analogy. And that's how TFC plays. They play very hyper forward. They're going to give up goals. Most games like they, they're going to need score. They're going to need to score twice to win most games because you Clean sheets are rare with TFC, and they're going to be rare the way where, in my opinion, they need to set up that way to have any chance because if they set up defensive, they're not good enough. They're going to give up goals anyway, and then they're giving themselves less a chance to score. That's my take on it. They have two more games this week. I I would have taken Javinko out in about the 75th minute after that third one goal to try and save him up for the rest of the week, but they left him in, so we'll see whether that has any effect on the rest of the week. They need to get – I say they need – well, they don't need because they're going to make the playoffs, as we said. But I think they ideally should get six points out of these next two games. They are both winnable. And, you know, we'll see. If they get four, that's reason to criticize. If they get none, God help us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just want to remind our listeners as well, it's a busy week in The Canadian MLS side of things, when you're looking at Montreal and Toronto playing a double week in the league, Vancouver's playing in the Champions League against Olympia and this Wednesday, and Vancouver has a chance to put their stamp on that group, if Vancouver gets a result against Olympia at home, at BC Place, they're really in the conductor's seat in that group to make it out to the quarterfinals. And then you have Montreal, like we said, we're playing San Jose on Wednesday. And this weekend, they're playing at home against New England. So it's a not an easy week with a lot of travel as well for Montreal. So a very busy week in uh, Canadian soccer this week.
2: All right. One final thing. We did not much to talk about this on this one but uh there is an announcement in vancouver today it does appear that it is is confirmed that vancouver and bc place will be hosting the first game of the semi-final round of world cup qualifying for canada um big opportunity for the fans out there to uh to show that they will get out and support the men the same way they support the women so hopefully they do that because canada is going to need all the support it can get if it's going to get through a tricky round but not as rudy said an impossible round kevin say goodbye
1: Just to mention Vancouver, you asked for it, now you got it. Show us what you can do with it. And until then, have a great soccer.